Yeah, you, you sound great. Welcome to Between the Banners, the basketball podcast from TarHillBlog.com on the SBNation.com podcast network. This is episode 14. Some scheduling difficulty has precluded us from recording since the Heels season ended, and we've got to play some catch-up. We're going to go almost as fast as the celebration on Tumor's Corner in Auburn, Alabama last night. My name is Chad Floyd, joined by the usual Sunday goon squad, minus our bourbon enthusiast Joe Carpenter, who is MIA. Uh, Jake Lawrence joining us from New Jersey, possibly for the last time. Well, from New Jersey, not for the last time for him. How are you, good sir? I'm doing great. And even better news, I'm actually in Greenville, North Carolina this week. So got out of the cold and uh, enjoying the, the Tar Heel State. There you go. Been to Bee's Barbecue yet? Not yet. That's on the, uh, that's on the agenda for later this week. So my wife is from Stokes and, uh, she plans on taking me there right now. Not now, but you know, this week. Yeah. Don't, don't go today. Uh, we're recording here on a Sunday night and also with us on a Sunday night, still ostensibly in Massachusetts, Al Hood. Al, how goes it? It goes, it goes. Uh, spring is trying to come here to Boston. I think it got to a balmy 60 degrees today in the city. So. Uh, you know, spring is, uh, getting closer. Um, eventually it'll show up around July. <laughs> yeah, we're, we're getting some solid spring here in the Tar Heel state, uh, as Jake alluded to. Um, I, I pray for your well-being because I've had some clients up in Massachusetts, um, over the past year or so, and it doesn't really sound like there's any hope until like May or June, but, um, <laughs> we are not, um, the, I see recruiting podcast. We're not going to sit here and talk about weather for the first five minutes of the recording. We've got some work to do. <laughs> um, by the time you're hearing this, it's that Monday in April where somebody cuts down the nets. Uh, Texas Tech and Virginia are set to play. Um, Jake, we've been super high on Tech for a good long while now. You stuck to your guns. I flipped to Gonzaga literally between noon and tip-off on the first Thursday of the NCAA tournament. Can they finish the drill tonight? I guess tonight as we're recording. Or uh, 100%. <clears throat> yeah, 100%. Um, I was worried that they wouldn't have enough offense, uh, to, to make a run, um, especially against some of the, some of their teams like, like Gonzaga, but their defense has just been on another level. Um, I think it's been on a better level than Virginia's. Uh, and I think Virginia has been fortunate, uh, in some of the teams, uh, they have played and all credit to Virginia. They've done what they needed to do. Um, but I think they needed some luck to get there. And I think that they have, on and get some other questionable coaching decisions on the other side. Uh, and I think Chris Beard is an absolutely unbelievable coach. Um, and uh, and I, I look for them to go ahead and, and finish this off. Wow. That, that you know what, coming out with the take cannon firing. Um, Al, he mentioned luck, but by what ever does, uh, is Jake referring to, you know, from <laughs> possibly the last 1.5 seconds of that game against Auburn? Oh, I don't know. Maybe it's because the officials uh decided to swallow their whistle at an obvious double dribble dribble and then found it when uh Kyle Guy tried that three point shot. Um and listen, you know, we could probably spend twenty minutes with everybody else that will by the time you listen to this, everybody's gonna be talking about whether they should have swallowed the whistle or not on that foul. It was a foul. I think everybody in our Slack channel and what I've seen in the consensus is everybody's agreeing that it was a foul. But um, I think I use the analogy like this. It's like if in 93, 
the officials decided that they weren't going to call Chris Weber for the obvious uh, travel call. They didn't want to put that burden on him. It was actually the one of the re- officials was actually quoted as saying he didn't want to end the game on that call. But then Weber forced their hands by calling the timeout that Michigan didn't have. In this case, the officials first off decided, no, we don't want this game to end on an obvious mistake. But then, you know what? Yes, we will let the game end on an obvious mistake. It, it's weird how inconsistent uh, they were there at the end. And just the subjectivity of basketball officiating is going to lead to some of that. I've thought for a while now that they should have four refs on the court and, you know, every ref should have a responsibility to where, you know, you don't have the TV Teddy making a charge call from 50 feet away as we have seen in our recent past. But the thing is, I mean, just within the context of how the game was being called, you know, both teams were at four fouls going into the final minute before they started using their fouls to give. And it just did not flow with the rest of the game just from a context perspective. Um, Jake, would you agree with that as kind of the basketball X's and O's guy here? Uh, yeah, I would. And that was my biggest, that was my biggest problem was it was just so out of sync with the way the rest of the game was called. And, you can say a foul is a foul at any moment of the game. But the truth is, officials decide going into a game, or they make it known rather rather early, how they're going to officiate. And all coaches and players want is consistency. Everybody knows fouls are going to be missed. Everybody knows that some refs are going to call uh, a game a little bit tighter than the other. But what really makes people angry and frustrated is when it changes from possession to possession or half to half. And for the most part, yesterday's game, they, they let them play. I mean, there were some physical plays that – we would see in the ACC called regularly. Um, and there was a lot of contact on three point shots throughout yesterday. Um, there's just a lot of, uh, a lot of, you know, let, let them play, so to speak. And so that foul, while technically the right call was so out of character with the rest of the game, uh, that that was my issue with it, uh, more than anything. Not that he got it wrong, but it's one of those that every referee in the nation can say, nope, he, that, those took some big balls to call. Great call. It was absolutely right. But it's the same kind that if he didn't call, every referee would say, well, it makes sense he didn't call because he didn't call the rest of the game the same way. Um, and, and that was where, that was where my big rub was. Uh, but I will say this, I give credit to Bruce Pearl and the way they handled it after the game. Um, I'm not sure a lot of other coaches would handle it the same way. Um, and or, and or his players would handle it the same way. So, uh, hats off to, to Auburn for handling that disappointment the way they did. And, Al, I didn't really get your thoughts on the game tomorrow, but, um, you know, given Virginia's luck, they kind of seem like the uh, old quote-unquote, you know, Jim Nance team of destiny here. Uh, would we dare put that label on them and uh, maybe try to reverse jinx a uh, Texas Tech championship here? You know, it, it's, you know, sometimes the champion does have to face their, they have to face their own mortality before they can move forward. Um, but you could also argue that Virginia has not, uh, they have not faced the most difficult path that they could have to get here. Um, and Texas Tech, in a lot of ways, especially with their defense, um, is going to probably be the biggest test that they've ever, they've, that they've had. Um, are they a team of destiny? You know what? It's a game to game type of thing. Um, but, I think that with the just the ability that with the lack of offensive flow that that this game is going to have, 
I would recommend for most people, basically, you can skip the first 38 game minutes of it. And around the two-minute mark with or two minutes to go in the second half, you can probably start paying attention. You'll probably enjoy the game a lot better just watching it come down to the last two minutes because the rest of the game is just going to be an abomination. Shades of Butler UConn or Butler Duke or whoever but, Florida lost to that one year. I mean, it's Butler oh, UConn God. is going. Butler UConn is going to look like golden age of basketball compared to this game. And listen, that's that's. I mean, it's a slight to Texas Tech and UVA, but at the same time, this is what has worked for their program. They are in the national title game, and one of them is going to be a champion. So it's not – they have a system just like Carolina has a system, just like Duke – well, no, Duke doesn't have a system anymore. Um, <laughs> but, um, you know, credit to them. But, at the, you know, their job their, – their coaches' jobs are not to make pretty basketball that people want to watch. Their job is to win basketball games and get titles, and they found a system. Each of them have found a system that has created success for them. And um, – but – I probably won't be watching the majority of the game, to be completely honest. So the under right or the over under right now is uh, one seventeen and a half. Uh, Jake, <laughs> are you thinking the over or the under? <laughs> Sorry, there's no way I'm taking the over on that. That that's under. We might see like there will be enough money to come in on the under to where we might see an over under that gets close to a hundred on this one. I mean, that's, that's a bit of an exaggeration, but like, it's, I think that first the lines came out were like 118.5. The Westgate had it at 120. I just laughed. I laughed when I saw that because like yesterday, because we're recording this on a Sunday, um, was the first time in the era of the shot clock that no team got to 65 points. How on earth are you expecting, you know, both teams to essentially average 50, Eight points to get to that to get to that over under number on Monday night. It, it's not going to happen. I'm going to take the over. Sixty two percent of tickets have come in on the under so far. I believe in the game getting a little bit uh, stilted at some point where you know there's just kind of an awkward barrage of three pointers by either team. Um, and I do think overall uh, between. Culver and Moretti and the rest of those guys, they're going to cause huge problems for Kyle Guy and Ty Jerome. I do think you could talk me into Texas Tech winning this game, but give me like 63 to 56. Uh, Jake, can I get an over-under from you? Um, it sounds like you want the way-under. I'm going way-under. I mean, look, Michigan State, I mean, what, what, what was their one with Michigan State and, uh, and, and Texas Tech? I, I mean, mm-hmm. I, I can't see this. And you're talking, and yeah, you're talking a very efficient offense in Virginia, but they are incapable of playing fast. And Texas Tech isn't going to make you play fast. I have no idea where those points come from. I, look, Vegas does Vegas things and that's cool, but I, I, my eye test tells me that I think we're lucky to get to, to 105 on this game. I mean, it's just, I think it's going to be an abomination and set us back 20 years, maybe 30 years, but well, you know, it's, it's going there and. Whatever. <laughs> and whatever is probably a good way to leave it. Uh, it is definitely going to set us back about 30 years because coaches are going to see a channel to success through playing really good defense and unesthetically pleasing basketball. Um, reason I'm taking Texas Tech is just the stat that uh, I think I saw on Lauren Brownlow's uh, Twitter feed this afternoon. Uh, Texas Tech has played 
against nine teams who were in the top 25 in adjusted offensive efficiency. All nine of those teams had their worst offensive game against Texas Tech. That's so, a stat yeah. right there. That, that is a That's stat, what we call it? a pattern. Mm-hmm. That's what you call a, a pattern or a trend, and those usually don't change um, just because of, you know, a championship game, so to speak, especially a team like Virginia that I, I think, honestly, we have seen them get very hot, but we've also seen them really, really struggle. Um, yeah, and, and they needed some help against Purdue. Oregon took them down to the final minutes. I mean, this is not a team that has dominated their bracket. They've just done what they do. Um, and uh, because of that, I cannot see them having any sort of tweak or any sort of game plan that's really going to be a surprise. Uh, and that's that's usually very easy to, to game plan for. Yeah, and, and the old adage that defense travels, I think, you know, if you told me that these were the two best offensive teams in the country and Texas Tech had their best offensive performance against top 25 teams in defense, I would look at that a little bit more skeptically just because, you know, big stage, shots stop falling, and, you know, you have yourself a ball game. But, Al, I guess uh, you got the last word here. You know, any, anything else besides you will not be watching most of it? I, I think it, I do expect it to be close. Um, I don't think that Virginia has shown me enough in this tournament to where they're going to run away with one. Texas Tech's defense has been on, on another level. Uh, they have got some pretty decent fan support there in, uh, Minneapolis right now too. Um, you know, I, I just, it's one of those things where the, the vast majority of the game is just not going to be watchable, but, um, It'll come down to the last couple of minutes and there may actually be a, there may actually be a memorable ending, even if the game itself is not memorable. Um, you know, I, I probably will jump aboard the Texas Tech train here too, just because Virginia hasn't shown me anything this tournament that has been that impressive and I don't think they're going to run away with it. Um, so I think, uh, I, I think, I mean, they have not faced any sort of defense like this in the ACC period or in, um, in the tournament, um, the question is going to be whether or not the Texas Tech offense can, um, whether or not the Texas Tech offense can, um, counteract the pack line defense. It will be something, if not interesting, and I'm not going to have enough interest to do, dedicate more time to it than we have already here. Um, Moving on, you know, obviously we have not recorded since uh, UNC lost to that Auburn team, who I wish was playing tomorrow night. But uh, the Heels took it on the chin, 97 to 80 against Auburn. Um, you're not going to win many games when a team goes 12 of 18 from three and a half. I pretty much tuned myself out when they banked in that three to go up 10 with about 11 minutes to go. Um, since then, the fallout has been Nasir Little to the NBA, Kobe White to the NBA. Depending on the type of person you are, that either pisses you off or makes you happy that young men are capitalizing on their talents and getting paid for playing the game of basketball. Al, where do you stand there? Um, you know, kind of any kind of postmortem thoughts you have. You know, I'll just go ahead and get mine out of the way. I thought this team exceeded my expectations and ran into a buzzsaw and shit happens. I think mean, it's a pretty good way to put it. Um, we found out after the game that Nasir was at 50%. Cam was throwing up after the game. Um, we learned that while this team did have some margin for error, um, they basically showed in, again, in the game against Virginia, 
that's probably the biggest, uh, that's probably the biggest comparison is that once Nasir and Cam both went out of that game, they lost control of it. And, um, in this one without a full strength Cam and without a full strength Nasir, once Auburn started putting up that wave, they just couldn't, um, they couldn't counteract it. Um, you know, I, if you go back to the beginning of the season and tell me that a freshman point guard who was a comp, who was more of a combo guard and put, uh, pressure on himself to score buckets, uh, would lead us to the sweet 16 and we would be disappointed at the end of the year. That's as far as we got. I would be happy. Um, so sweet 16 elite eight definitely is a good season. Um, as far as, uh, Kobe and Nasir go, uh, I think it does nothing but help Carolina basketball in recruiting that they both are leaving. Uh, the plan all along was Nasir, um, for him to be a one and done. And while I think another year at Carolina would help, would objectively help him out, you can also make the argument that for what he wants to do in the NBA, uh, he is better off at this point going to the NBA. This year was about him stop about him learning not to use just his physical talents to try to play basketball, but to actually play basketball, the idea of an offensive set, the idea of a defensive set, how he works and how he flows in that. The problem is, is that at Carolina, he would be a four, um, maybe a three, but his, his strength would be at the four, but in the NBA, it's going to be a three. So you don't, for his personal development, you don't want to create a situation where it turns him into he finally learns good habits for college, but then he has to turn around and break habits again for the NBA. Uh, for Kobe, I really wish he was coming back, but that's also selfish on my part. Um, I think in a lot of ways, the reason why he jumped up so fast was the reasons that I talked about at the beginning. Nobody was, you know, he was handed the reins of a complex offensive system and was asked to be put in charge where you had three senior starters out on the floor and those seniors accepted him, trusted him, and he clearly got better as the year went on and played within the flow of a game, showed speed, started to distribute. And I think that's one of the reasons why his stock rose so fast was because um, re- they realized his actual basketball aptitude was high. Um, you know, is, is he leaving too early? Could he use a year to kind of clean it up? Yes, but when you're at this point, he's being predicted to be a lottery pick and for a financial gain, you could basically say how much further up could he actually go? And I completely understand the decision. And Jake, you know, I think Al brings a good point with uh, Kobe kind of capitalizing with what his ceiling could be in the NBA draft. There is the chance he comes back and puts up Steph Curry or Trey Young numbers because I think those are his best comps, but he's just not going to do that in UNC's system because it's uh, too balanced of a system. Roy Williams would kill him for it. Um, so, you know, kind of where are you just on the freshman departures? And then we'll uh, we'll talk about the seniors a little bit after that, but I wanted to get your thoughts uh, because that is a little bit more newsworthy uh, as we record here on Sunday night. Yeah, for sure. Um you know, I don't have a problem with either one going. As a fan, you have to balance your selfishness for what you want to see for North Carolina the next year, but also understand that uh, you got to support the young men when they want to go and make make a business decision. Um, and there's nothing wrong with that. And I don't think anybody can realistically say that, um, you know, this isn't a Tony Bradley situation where he was a fringe late round 
a late first round pick and would another year theoretically have helped him increase his stock or whatever. Yeah. These are two guys right now who are solidly in the, um, in the lottery or the tail end of the lottery. Uh, and, and it's hard for anyone to turn down. Um, whether or not either one is ready, you know, I don't talk to GMs. I don't talk to their families. I don't talk to Coach Williams. You don't? There's no telling. Um, <laughs> yeah, I know. It's, it's weird. Um, I, I don't talk to any of those guys. So, you know, it's hard to know how their games are necessarily going to translate. Um, I think that we can look at it that Nasir didn't start and he only played 18 minutes and he had nine and a half points and almost five boards. But look, if he, if he plays 27 minutes and he's scoring 15 and 10 or 16 and 11 or whatever, everyone's going to say, well, of course this makes sense. He needs to go. So I think we're kind of skewed just because of what his role was and not really what his production. Um, and so I think that makes sense. Uh, and with Kobe, he grew so much, you know, anyone who said, oh, he was going at the beginning of the year was lying to you if they, if they really knew that was going to happen because nobody knew that was going to happen. He, he grew by leaps and bounds the way no freshman point guard has grown in North Carolina. Um, and, and, and he played himself into it and he deserves credit for that. So for both of them, that's awesome. Um, now the bigger, the bigger issue though is going forward about the recruiting, what all that means. Um, and, and here's the thing, you know, for years, fans clamored for, we want one and done players. We need this top elite talent. We're not getting it. We're getting, you know, we're getting beat on the recruiting trail. Well, this is what happens when you then go out and you get those those top talent. The last three McDonald's All-Americans that North Carolina recruited left after one year. Um, and that's that's what the game is now. And so fans have to come to realize that that's just going to be what it is. And whether or not that is good for the program or not, that's a different debate altogether, but that is what it is. Um, and so as we welcome at least one more McDonald's All-American next year and potentially – two or three more, depending on how recruiting shakes out. Hey, Jake, um, can you hear me? This is going to be a yearly thing Jake. that North Carolina fans are not used to. And due to technical difficulties, we're going to take a quick commercial break. We will be right back. And we are back after a little bit of a hiatus. Um, Al, what's good on TV? Apparently Muppets Take Manhattan is on one of the PBS station up here. And you're watching that, I assume. Oh, of course. I mean, how can you not watch Piggy and that wonderfully 80s hair that she's got when she's trying to convince Kermit that he doesn't have amnesia? Oh, man. You know what? In in a darker Muppets universe, uh, Piggy's definitely just drugging Kermit, right? <laughs> that relationship is weird on so many different levels. It is. It is. And... Not quite as weird, but uh, we're going to try to patch it together here. Uh, Jake, you were making a point about Nasir before you got cut off, and then uh, you were talking about Kobe, so I'm going to splice this bad boy together. Yes, this is Inside Baseball on the Tar Heel Blog podcast. Um, deal with it, but Jake, kind of your thoughts on Kobe's announcement to go pro, and uh, we'll just kind of roll from there. Yeah, sorry about that technical difficulty. I think that was on my end. So if I dip out again, just keep going with you and Al, and I'll catch up on at a later date. But uh <clears throat> To go back to Kobe, I mean, look, no one can blame him for going. Uh, he had a great year, uh, understandably so. Everyone saw that. He was a joy to watch. Uh, but he also grew more than anyone thought he was going to grow. Uh, and, and from beginning to end, it looked like he got better every single game. He never really hit a freshman wall. He had some peaks and valleys, but he was always improving. Um, and uh, when you when you see your name, you know, in some draft as high as number five, it, 
that's kind of a no-brainer at that point. And he could come back and learn some more from the college game. Uh, he could probably not drop in stock for next year. But as Carolina fans, uh, while we're selfish for next year's team, we have to support these guys when they come through and they give their time to North Carolina. You want to support them at the next level and hope that they're good ambassadors going forward. And there's no doubt that Nas and uh, or Nasir and Kobe will be. So best of luck to him. Uh, and it's from from a fan standpoint, you know, we've been clamoring forever uh, for as North Carolina fans for the one and dones and for this top elite talent. Uh, and this is the this is the other side of that. Uh, you don't get that talent anymore for as long. Whereas we had the Hansbros and the Hensons and the Lawsons uh, and the Ellingtons for for three years or four years. That's that's not what happens anymore. Uh, now those types of players are gone after one year as soon as they can go. And so uh, you know we we've had three or North Carolina's had three McDonald's All Americans in the last three years, uh, and all three have left after one year. Uh, and that's that's the new reality. So. Uh, while we, while North Carolina fans love to have those recruiting wins, uh, and we hope that there are more with at least one McDonald's All-American coming next year, potentially one, two, or three more, um, this is going to take some getting used to. And fans have got to figure out what they really want out of the situation um, and if that's good or not for the program, which is a separate conversation that can go on for another 30 minutes. Uh, but that's the reality of where we are. So uh, that will be interesting going forward. But that does not mean that Kobe and Little need to stay for another year. They need to go and, and do what's best for them for their professional careers. Yeah, and you, you talk about kind of the give and take of it. You know, you have guys that you get to enjoy for a year. But if you don't win the championship with them, you kind of have a vacuum in the roster. And obviously with the departures of Luke May, Cam Johnson, and Kenny Williams, and I think we'd be remiss not to uh, talk about the fact that Cam Johnson's a projected first-round pick at this point. You know, obviously Carolina has some holes. Um, currently they have Armando Baycott and Jeremiah Francis coming in. Uh, Jeremiah Francis seems destined for a red shirt just because he hasn't really played in two years and he's still not fully healthy. So, Jake, sticking with you, you know, Carolina's still in the hunt for uh, Cole Anthony, who would be kind of a combo guard in the vein of Kobe. Uh, still in the hunt for Pre- Precious Achimura, who's kind of a 3-4. And then a couple of new guys on the radar in addition to some grad transfers. Uh, can UNC put, piece this thing together and come back as a top 10 team again next year? I think a top 10 team is, is probably a little bit high for the expectations. Um, I think they can piece together enough to be competitive, uh, and to be a typical Carolina team that gets better from start to finish. Uh, but with so many new parts that are going to have to come in, whether it's the grad transfer route or freshman, and you're going to have some some players who are going to be stepping into roles that are greatly, um, I must say exaggerated, they are more than what they have provided to this point in their career uh, with, with higher expectations. And I'm talking about Brandon Robinson, Leaky Black, uh, and Sterling Manley, and maybe Garrison Brooks as well, depending on, on what, what will be expected from him. Uh, I, I think you're looking at a lot more questions that everything has to break just right for this to, to reach a, a top 10 level. Um, but you know, that's, that's the price you pay for, for having a number one seat three out of the last four years and a really strong senior class like North Carolina does. Uh, so just manage the expectations. Uh, and I, I think top 10 is a little bit going to be out of their reach. And Al, you know, what, what's your prediction for? Who Roy Williams can go out and land? I mean, the names seem endless. I mean, I've seen three different grad transfers. Um, inside Carolina's talking about a six eight guy from Cary that decommitted from Penn State who's on the market. 
Uh, you've got the two additional McDonald's All-Americans. You've got somebody like Josh Green who might see that Arizona is a sinking ship. Uh, where do the heels go from here? Because right now your rotation players really are Garrison Brooks, Leaky Black, Brandon Robinson. And if you want to believe in some other guys, that's great. But I don't really know if I am willing to take that leap. Yeah, you know, I was thinking of just how lucky we were in a lot of ways last year that um our by this time last year we pretty much knew what our roster was going to be. Um I think Luke um tested the waters to use the phrase, but beyond that we knew who was leaving, we knew who was coming back, we knew who we had recruited and who we signed. We knew we weren't going to get any grad transfers. Um to the point to where what about a month or so after the season was over, we could say, okay, this is going to be our team. Um, it may be June or July before we have a full idea of what this team is for 2019 and 2020. And it's going to be a lot like the off season after the national championship. I mean, Cam Johnson wasn't even on our radar until um, things kind of fell through with Kevin Knox. And um, because uh Johnson was a pit transfer. We didn't think we would get him. And then all of a sudden it was like, okay, well, maybe we can get him. And then, well, maybe Roy can talk them out of that hold. And then you get the public perception. It's, it's going to be one of those things where we may not know this team, this, this full team until the middle of the summer, uh, or at least the beginning of the summer. Um, and that's scary in a lot of ways, but that's also promising because um, you know, now the biggest difference between that 2017 offseason and this offseason, 2017 still had the scandal shadow over it. That scandal shadow did not, um, that scandal shadow did not break until the day that they started practice and revealed the banner. So whereas we had to kind of temper our expectations and we, we probably lost Knox because of the speculation of the scandal this year. We don't have that. The only, the only thing that is in the bullets of folks to recruit against Roy are two things. One, you have Nasir Little not doing well as a one and done. And yet all you have to do, the, the easy counter to that is going to be Kobe White, who wasn't projected to be a one and done and now is most likely going to be uh, a top 15, if not top 10 draftee. Um, and then, Beyond that, um, maybe Roy's age, but he hasn't shown any signs that he wants to leave anytime soon. And if you're one and done, you're not going to, the, the, the worry, quote unquote, about the coach just kind of upping and leaving, um, isn't there like it used to, like it used to be something we had to worry about. Um, so I think at this point, trying to nail down, besides the fact that Cole Anthony is 95% probably coming, I think trying to pick out anybody else at this point, Maybe a fool's errand for those who aren't in the know. Um, because even the, even the Little Rock transfer, and I apologize for not knowing his name off the Ray top John of my head. Tucker, I believe. Um, thank you. Um, first off is Jake has been good enough to remind us on Slack that, you know, he has been a scorer, but that was a score at Arkansas. Little Rock, it is a completely different ball, it is a completely different league if you come into the ACC to, there's always the concern of, uh, there's always the concern of grades and whether or not, um, they, he can even qualify for Carolina. Um, you know, even though he would be a grad transfer, he still have to have a certain level before you can even get there. 
And, um, you know, and the, I'll, I'll, I'll go ahead. interrupt you there, but I think uh, UNC would have already established that in their vetting process uh, to this point. So, you know, I'm assuming that's the case, and I'm assuming grades aren't going to be an issue with these guys, but sorry, I, I just completely cut you off there. No, that's okay. You you should have because I was starting to ramble. I mean, it's it's in a lot of ways, it's kind of like trying to nail down the guys that I think we're going to get, I think, would be fruitless at this point. I think the only one that you can feel comfortable about is Cole Anthony. Um, and then beyond that, um, there may be someone that we don't even know about that all of a sudden just ends up on our radar and lands right in our lap within a month. Um, it's going to be that kind of off season. Yeah, and if I can step in real quick too, Chad, um, and you make a good point about the graduate transfers, and, and I, I don't mean to, to demean a graduate transfer or lower level of basketball, but we have to understand that the Cameron Johnsons and the Reed Travises, they go from one P5 to another. Uh, those are rare in the graduate transfer game. A lot of graduate transfers are your mid and low majors who have developed, maybe they were late bloomers, maybe they had a reason they had to go to a lower level for what, you know, for, uh, whatever reason that may be. And they've blossomed. And so now they are, they're ready to step in and contribute. That doesn't necessarily mean some of those guys are ready to step in and be a star or be a starter. Um, and you just don't know, uh, you know, in, in, in the case of Tucker, he, he started at Florida Gulf Coast or started out at Florida Gulf Coast for two years, then transferred to Arkansas Little Rock. And he's only had one year of, of significant, um, uh, playing time and, and production. Not to say he can't step into the ACC and, and produce. But you just have to be realistic with, with some of these, whether it's, you know, whether it's someone come from, coming from William and Mary or Charleston Southern. I'm just throwing out some schools from some guys that, uh, that some fans are interested in and or have been made contact or have been contacted by, by the coaching staff. Uh, so you just have to main, you have to maintain that, that, that realistic expectation. And so when I said that, you know, I don't think that top 10 is quite attainable right now, that's kind of what I mean of, it takes time to bring those folks online, to get them integrated in the system. I mean, if you can play, you can play. But we know that the North Carolina system, there's there's a learning process to it. Uh, it's not just plug and play the way other programs can do. Um, and so when you're looking at that, Al is absolutely right. It's going to take some time for this to shake out. Uh, and North Carolina fans have to be patient because uh, that's just what the recruiting game is right now. And North Carolina is not the only school in that boat. Um, and that's just kind of that. It, that is what it is. Yeah, and I, I think I'm with both of y'all 100%. You know, the, th- the thing for UNC right now is they just need bodies, and I think they have, uh, if you exclude Baycott and Francis, they have four more scholarships to play with. You know, you can kind of go all in on guys who are only going to be on campus for a year. Hope it clicks. Uh, hope Garrison Brooks takes the next step. Unleash Brandon Huffman finally, because he is the secret weapon we have been waiting for. <laughs> and if it doesn't work out and Carolina's uh first weekend team next year, or even an NIT team, I mean, they shot their shot. And again, you know, three, four, three, one seeds in four years is nothing to sneeze at over the past four years. So it's not going to, you know, I mean, if anything, it's probably going to help UNC's recruiting efforts for 2021, just saying, Hey, look at all this, these open spots. Let's build the next uh four year run. So either way, I, I think UNC, well, go ahead. Well, I was going to say, that, that the 2021 class, um, that's really where to look at because if you go with the graduate transfer route, you know they're only there right. for one year. If you go the freshman route, they probably are, maybe they're not, you know, whatever. That's a little bit, that's a little bit more gray. 
But you can start laying that foundation now if you go after one or two graduate transfers. You know those spots are open, and you can start going for those for those depth guys, those guys that are ranked 40 to 80 if the coaching staff is so inclined, and you build, you can rebuild that bench back up. Uh, and that's easier than, say, uh, a Kobe White or an Armando Baycott who may or may not explode and, and want to go after one year based on where their skill set is. It's, it's kind of a it's kind of a chess game when it comes to that. Um, and they are North Carolina is not so deep into the 2020 and the 2021 classes uh, that they cannot adjust uh, to, to what those rosters would look like. Um, and so that's something long term strategic wise to kind of keep in mind. It doesn't you know help next year per se, but for the long term health of the program, uh, that's something to look yeah, at. Yeah, and the best example. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I don't expect. Um, I was going to say I'm not sorry to keep stepping over you, Chad. I mean, I just. The biggest thing is that even with these mass availabilities of spots, you know, you don't see Roy just because he can get the players turning into, turning the program into Cal, turning the program into Duke. Like he still wants to program build. He still wants to get the three and four star guys that are going to be there a couple of years and, and use them. Um, it's just, the problem is, is that when you do go that route and you, the, this type of season, this type of off season is what you get is, um, you know, and there are a few other dominoes that have fallen into place to where, you know, you, you just kind of have to bite your tongue and deal with the rebuilding year. Um, you know, can they get them at some point? They almost have to bite the bullet and take a quote unquote rebuilding year to get to the point to where they have a, a 2009, a 2017 style team that is deep and full of experience that can get deep into the NCAA tournament. Yeah. And if you look at it from, you know, aging myself a little bit, go back to the 2006 class where they had, uh, Ty Lawson wrapped up pretty early and Wayne Ellington as well. And they went and the ne- next three commits they got were David Noel, um, Wait, am I remembering that? No, it was, yeah, David Noel, um, Alex Stevenson, and Dion Thompson, who are three four-year players. Um, Noel ends up redshirting, but, you know, those guys were foundational pieces for the next few years, and then you add uh, Brandon Wright as the cherry on top. I think if you put a gun to Roy's head, which I hope nobody's doing, that's the formula is, and he said it to an extent where, you know, he wants some three- and four-year guys mixed with that top-end talent because – let, let's be frank. I mean, his off, his system doesn't really work without the top end talent, or at least to date, you know, we haven't really seen it work, you know, with, without having a couple of those guys that are, you know, at least lottery picks. But what we have seen is that there are always foundational guys. If you want to take a David Noel or, you know, shit, name them, man. Um, that stick around three or four years. Hicks, me. There you go. Hicks, Meeks, Marcus Page. Um, any, anybody from the 2010s really. And that's kind of the system that Roy Williams is trying to put together. So what becomes interesting to me is if Roy finds a couple more, you know, kind of below the radar guys for 2019 to start building towards, you know, the next mega class of, you know, your May McCants felt. And I realized that was a Doherty class or your Lawson Ellington, right. And can uh, gel those guys because for next year, you know, the, Talent and leadership drain is such that it's going to be kind of an interesting mix no matter how they uh, end up slicing it up next year. 
Yeah, I think that's I think that sums it up pretty well. All right. Well, if that sums up pretty well, um, you know, I guess we would be remiss not to uh, dance on Duke's grave for a second because again, we have not recorded since last Sunday. Um, Duke lost to Michigan State. Zion Fest is over for now, but it's not really because uh, Michael Avenatti, who probably does not have much credibility, has said something that I've been saying for about six months now. Why would Zion Williamson go to Duke for free when he could have played at Kansas for a quarter million dollars? Um, his claim is that Zion's mother has been on the take from Nike as a quote unquote consultant since 2016. Um, it all makes sense to me. Uh, you know, the pieces would be there. Uh, Duke, for what it's worth as a private institution, said that they are going to look into it. But can we all just take a second and uh, laugh at Duke for blowing yet another preseason number one short of the final four? I'll, I'll let you start with a hearty horror if you want to. <laughs> well, um, when Duke says they're going to look into it, it reminds me of uh, the uh, opening scenes of The Dark Knight when they're in Jim Gordon's special unit and uh, they're talking about the investigation into Batman and the bulletin board has, like, the Abominable Snowman, the Loch Ness Monster... It's just to say how seriously that unit is taking looking into Batman. That's about as serious as I expect Duke to look into these allegations. Oh, see, I was I was thinking um, you had the SWAT team van pull up, and it was more of the Joker's guys um, at the bank in the very opening scene. No, 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 no. That that well, though that would work, but I mean, the reason that these allegations at least have some merit to them is that if you piece this with the idea that Nike paid the mother her uh, his mother for a consultant and then you go back to the newspaper article that was that hit around the time of the NCAA tournament with Marvin Bagley and to indicate that Nike basically gave Bagley's dad all sorts of money to turn this AAU team that was doing nothing into something that Bagley's dad could make a really good living on um, it, it just, there just is a pattern after pattern after pattern that goes into it that just seems like, you know, especially if you're someone like Zion, if you're a big man and you want to develop, why would you go to Duke where they don't really have players, where they don't really develop players versus the school that's eight miles down the road that had guys who were three and four stars coming out of high school that developed into the point to where they at least played some time in the NBA um, or in the in, or in the G League right now. And essentially the system is one that says if you're a dominant big man, you're going to get the basketball. Um, you know, it, it's, you know, you combine that with the fact that let's just state the obvious. And one of the, one of the great things that came out of um, Duke losing last week was that people are finally starting to say, hey, can Coach K even coach anymore? The the best way to describe it, and I, and I will, whoever said this, I apologize for not remembering who said it. Um, remind me on Twitter and I will give you credit for it. Duke looked awesome when they just thrashed Kentucky at the beginning of the year. They never got better. They stayed at the same level. They basically played this whole game where they just rolled out the basketballs. They figured their talent would take over. And meanwhile, all of these other teams did what you're supposed to do during a basketball season and got better as a team. Um, and that finally caught up with them 
against Michigan State, which, you know, we saw on Saturday night. The the talent that Duke had, if they were a cohesive team, if Kay had even bothered to actually develop his players, there's no reason why Michigan State should have been able to hang on the court with Duke. And they just, they they escaped by the skin of their teeth after so many games, and it finally caught up with them. And it's really worth asking at this point, is Kay, does Kay even care about coaching and developing these players? Is he just at the point now where he's just resigned to where he's just going to do a one-and-done fest, put out his best players? If they can't play immediately, he's just going to sit them on the bench and then just let them do their thing. And I think that's basically where we are, and it is more of a symphony to my ears than the birds in the background uh, on Jake's end. But, yeah, I mean, you had... <laughs> I know you had uh, Bill Simmons questioning him. I know you had um, Titus and Fraser questioning him. I know you had uh, SB Nation's main page. Their top article was the four ways in which Coach K uh, failed Zion Williamson, which I think is a little bit, um, maybe not the most fair wording, but, you know, the point still stands. Um, Jake, you know, I think Al said it all pretty well there, but, how excited were you that Duke lost, uh, that we don't have to have this coronation again? And does it bother you that Trey Jones is coming back for a sophomore season? Um, I was ecstatic when they lost, as every Carolina fan should have been. Um, more so, uh, and I agree with everything Al said, and I think there's a very real conversation uh, to have about uh, how checked out Coach K has been. Um, and uh, I don't want to, I don't want to beat beat that point to death. So uh, I think I'll cover that pretty well, but I think, I think there is a, a conversation to be had. Uh, I am more happy to see the one and done uh, super teams fail again. Um, and you got, you guys know I've been on this kick for a while and I've done some, done a lot of research over it and everything uh, and written about it in the past, but I just think that way is fool's gold um, when it comes to tournament time and the tournament's already so tough as it is. Uh, and yes, that way can work, and yes, that way has worked. Uh, but every time it does not work, uh, I jump for joy on the inside uh, because I think it is, uh, I think it's everything that college basketball should not be. Uh, and it's not the NCAA's fault in this case. Uh, it's the NBA's fault. So all of those reasons, it made me happy, not just Duke uh, per se, but that obviously was, was definitely a, a – That's a nice cherry on top. Uh, but – yeah, it was a nice cherry on top to go with. That's a good way to put it. Uh, as far as Trey Jones coming back, uh, look, I think that next year's team on paper for Duke now, this is the first time they're going to have an actual point guard that's not a freshman, uh, since from maybe before 2015. Uh, and 2015's iffy because they still had Matt Jones in the backcourt to help Tyus Jones. They along. had Quinn so Cook still. It's the first time in about half a decade that they're, uh, you're right. I think they did actually. That's a better one. Uh, Quinn Cook. Um, was back there to help him along. So I think that, I think really what you're looking at there is that they're going to have experience in the point guard position and we're going to see if, if Coach K really will continue to coach. They don't have the kind of talent they've had come in in the past three years. Uh, they're going to have some returning talent. They're going to have some top end talent with maybe one or two still to come. Um, but with a point guard who will have experience, uh, Trey Jones can make that team from competitive to a legitimate contender um, if Duke will get better through the season. And I know this is a long way off, but we have seen this play out now for three, four years at Duke. So that's a big if. Uh, but I do think that, that he makes them 
just from an experience standpoint, if Coach K will trust him to run the team and not just give the ball off and make him go stand in the corner the way he did late in the year. Um, but that remains to be seen. But I do think that North Carolina fans should be a little bit concerned to see him uh, come back. Yeah, I, I think that would pretty much sum it up. Um, I definitely don't want to turn this into a Duke podcast, except for the fact that, haha, y'all had the best college basketball player of the past 30 years and uh, did not win anything. Um, that part of it is, is always sweet. Um, finally, maybe having my uh, Coach K pieces get some momentum as to, yeah, the dude can't really coach is glorious. And I guess just kind of to put a bow on it, I mean, Jake, where you say the one and done is fool's gold, go look at the recruiting rankings of Virginia and Texas Tech's players. Uh, I don't think you want to live in that territory, but it is definitely something to um, to take note of. So, Al, I'm going to start with you. What do you have to plug coming up on TarHillBlog.com or otherwise this week? Um, a little bit of a slow week here for us uh, as basketball season is over and we uh, look ahead towards football. Yeah, uh, that's, that's it. Because of the sudden ending of the, the season right now, I'm, uh, still kind of searching for where I'm, I'm going to go. Um, you know, once the summer hits, I'll definitely be keeping an eye on the baseball players that get to the Cape Cod League and, and whatnot. But, uh, right now just trying to mostly figure out, you know, keep, keep an eye on things as they go and, uh, kind of attack things, uh, attack subjects as they, uh, start popping up. I like it, and uh you always need to look forward to some Al pieces because he uh puts forth some great stuff on the site. Uh Jake, what do you have coming up this week? Uh, I haven't really decided yet, to be to be quite frank, but what I will say is uh congratulations to Bobby Jones, who was inducted or was who was selected for the Naismith Memorial Basketball Hall of Fame over the weekend. Uh, he is now the 12th Tar Heel to be uh, who, who who will be enshrined. Uh, there's some reports saying 11. That is not correct. He's the 12th, uh, with Sylvia Hatchell actually being inducted in 2013 or 14 as well. So, um, uh, long overdue for him. Uh, didn't really make it, uh, for so long because he was a defensive stalwart and his offensive numbers were not the best comparatively, uh, compared to those of his, uh, of his era. Uh, but Bobby Jones, uh, selected for the Hall of Fame. Congrats to him. I wrote a piece on that on, uh, on yep. Saturday, and if anyone wants to go back and, yep, on Saturday, and, uh, or, for, or yeah, Saturday, yeah, yeah. If anyone wants to go back, and there's some clips in there of Bobby Jones and of the, uh, eight, eight points in 16 seconds, um, uh, game. So, 16, 17 seconds. That, that Duke game back from yeah. way back then. Go, yeah, go check Kyle that out. Yeah, Kyle does not have shit on Bobby Jones. Six points in seven seconds, nothing. <laughs> um, as for me, uh, this is not going to be the last podcast we record this week. I'm uh, going to get an episode of Don't Punt to Geo in advance of the Carolina spring game this coming Saturday. If you don't know whether or not you're going to attend, I would encourage you to because it'll make for a lot better recruiting content as we go into the dreary summer months. But thankfully, we've got some basketball recruiting content. Obviously, we're going to have to cover as well. Um, I will give a shout out to former Tar Heel and future Tar Heel coach, in my opinion, Jerry Stackhouse, who got the head coaching job at Vanderbilt. I wrote about that on Saturday as well. Um, so a lot of good stuff from Saturday if y'all just want to go back and help me and Jake out, if nothing else. If you want to help all of us out, uh, go ahead, click on Apple Podcasts, find Tar Heel Blog Podcast, subscribe, leave a five-star review. If you leave a five-star review, 
no matter how ridiculous or nonsensical or even better yet, sensical it sounds, I will come back on this podcast and read it on the air. So, for me, for Jake, for Al, we will see you next time, and go Heels.